What if we listed off uh, some fetishes and see if my dad knows what they are? Oh, yeah. Will that be terribly embarrassing for you, Reverend Trout? The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's talk show about sex. I'm Maureen O'Connor, and this week we have two guests beaming in from other parts of the country. From Los Alamos, New Mexico, we have Reverend Dr. Stephen Trout, the pastor at First United Methodist Church of Los Alamos. Hello, Reverend. Hello. Welcome. It's good to be with you. And we're also joined by Reverend Trout's son, Christopher Trout, who is in San Francisco. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, Chris. A longtime friend of Sex Lives, Chris got his start working in the porn industry and then ended up in Silicon Valley, where now he works as the executive editor of Engadget and the author of its computer love sex column, for which he's done such sundry things as have virtual reality sex with imaginary porn star avatars, had sex with himself using a teledildonic dick sleeve that he inserted up his own butt, and used virtual reality to crawl up the anus of a porn star. But last time we talked to him, he was actually telling us about his family during our Thanksgiving episode, Gay Son of a Preacher Man. Now, with Christmas in the air, it felt like the right time to bring the preacher in question into the conversation. So Merry Christmas, you two. Yeah, thank you. And Merry Christmas to you. This should be interesting. (laughs) Is Christmas like busy time of the year for a pastor? Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, (laughs) We have many, many programs to make sure that families have food and gifts for Christmas here Mm -hmm. at the church. Uh, We uh, also have two Christmas Eve services and then a Christmas Day service. And uh, uh, so my work isn't done until about noon on Christmas Day. Are you going to be going to church, Chris? Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really do that unless I have to. And at this point in my life, they don't really make me anymore, so... (laughs) <laughs> maybe um, if we can do a little bit of background since our listeners have met Chris before, but Steve, could you maybe tell us a little bit about where you're from and how you became a minister? Well, sure. Uh, I was born in Southern Illinois in a small farming community there, but my family moved to New Mexico when I was just 15 months old. And so this is the part of the country that I have known for most of my life. Um, I, felt a calling to go into the ministry when I was 17 years old and uh, immediately started trying to educate myself toward that. Uh, uh, Elaine and I, uh, Chris's mom and I, got married when we were just 18 years old. Oh, wow. And uh, But by the time we had been married uh, 10 years, we had four degrees, uh, both established in good careers. I'd been in the ministry for a while, and we had both of our children. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it's been an exciting life. Did, did you grow up Methodist? Yes, I did. Yeah. Was sex something that you talked about, or that was like part of your understanding of your religion in any way? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, I, I've spent a good portion of my ministry uh, trying to pe- trying to help people to understand um, a holistic life mm-hmm. that uh, Christianity is not just about going to church on Sunday, but it's about being a whole person. 
Uh, I've also been involved in community sex education programs and teen pregnancy prevention programs throughout my ministry. Uh, so uh, sex and, and uh, uh, appropriateness in sex has been uh, very much a, a part of my ministry. Can you tell me a little bit about starting a family while also being a minister? It sounds like you knew you were going to or you were planning on having this career that sort of makes you a community role model. What's it like to sort of start building a family and know that your personal life is sort of publicly witnessed by by the people in your community? Well, sure. The main thing is just trying to be as authentic as you possibly can. And uh, when people ask you questions about your personal life, you are guarded, you know, not to reveal too much about yourself, but at mm-hmm. the same time, just be honest. And, and uh, being a, uh, a family person uh, uh, in the Southwest, uh, where the Catholic Church is the dominant uh, denomination, uh, there's a, a little confusion sometimes as mm-hmm. to why the priest at the Methodist Church has... Uh, a wife and children, but uh, other than that, uh, my churches have always understood that I'm a family person and Mm -hmm. and have respected our privacy. Does does your religion have any beliefs towards types of sex that are or are not acceptable? That one's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, I realize that that's sort of a, a very broad question. Yeah. Well, in our... Book of Discipline, which is our rule mm-hmm. book for the Methodist Church. Uh, we have a, a whole section on social principles, and within that is is a section on human sexuality. Mm-hmm. And um, the statement within that discipline is that even though homosexuality is not an acceptable Christian lifestyle, it uh, all persons are persons of worth in the eyes of God and mm-hmm. worthy of the ministry of the church. Uh, that statement about homosexuality has been uh, a large controversy in the church for almost 40 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the church is very much in turmoil right now trying to decide how to um, deal with the, with the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Uh, it, it's been distressing. It's been very hard. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, divided the church considerably, uh, and uh, the Methodist Church has uh, uh, just ordained its first homosexual bishop mm-hmm. and assigned her to uh, the Colorado area. Um, so not too far from you, then. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and so it's it's been a um, it's really been a struggle within our church. Mm-hmm. So when Chris had told me about you, and of course he had told me about you in the context of his sort of childhood growing up, finding himself, and of course he mm-hmm. emphasized, you know, that you have been accepting of him, and I was really interested when I went back and I watched a sermon of yours from August in which you actually talked about Chris, about when Chris came out. And I have to admit, I actually got really choked up. It was an incredibly powerful moment. Chris, have you have you listened to this sermon that I'm thinking of? 
no, I I probably <laughs> listened to, probably listened to one of my dad's sermons in the past like five or six years, and it wasn't that one. So, uh, Chris, your dad told me he reads all of your columns. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible son, but I do. You know, like I appreciate everything he does, and I 100 yeah. 100 admit that like. I got a lot of my storytelling skills from this dude. You know, I'm wondering if I can just play the section that I'm thinking of. It's just a couple minutes from that. It was the 14th Sunday after the Pentecost, a sermon about being a good neighbor. Um, If I can just play that for both of you guys, and then we can chat about it a little. Sure. How many of you have broken relationships in your life? Exactly. I do, too. I do, too. My son and I have a pretty good relationship, but there's a lot of confusion in our relationship. You see, as I have shared with you before, you know that my son is a homosexual person, and he um, didn't tell us that, even though we knew, my wife and I knew that he was, long before he told us. And when he did tell us, he said it was because he was afraid of, of what it might mean for my job if word got out that the pastor of the church had a homosexual son. And what I was unclear that he actually knew was that I would quit the church before I would ever tell him that I don't love him. Did you hear that? He knows that now. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I think he always knew that. And I told him, I said, son, you know that I love you. Yeah, dad, I know you love me. And I said, but what you don't know is that many times you confuse me. He said, dad, you always confuse me. (laughs) Okay, and that's okay. I just said, what we need to do is to connect in spite of the confusion. Chris, had you heard that rendition of the story? Is that that how you remember that going? Uh, Not 100%. Uh, I think that that was the uh, safe for work version of what actually happened. The day, the day that I came out of the closet to my dad, though, uh, mm-hmm. I think that conversation may be a conversation that we had a little bit later because, truth be told, we didn't talk for, I think, a month after I came out of the closet because uh, his reaction, and Dad, you can correct me if you feel like this is wrong, but your reaction was a little bit stronger and a little bit more negative than I had expected. Mm, really? Well, what okay. do you mean by that? Um, well, <laughs> this is like getting real, <laughs> we're getting real deep on it. Um, just that, you know, like when I when I brought it up, he was, I think, a little surprised to hear it in the context that he was hearing it. in. it was I had been dating somebody for a while and um, I had uh, they had burned me with a cigarette, and I think that my mom had brought it up and said something to the oh my eff- god <laughs> something to the effect of uh, where did that come from? And I said, oh, it came from a guy that I used to date. And uh, you know, my dad he was clearly upset. We didn't talk for a little while, 
but I think, you know, like the conversation that he's talking about has definitely happened. Like, it didn't yeah. happen that day. It happened later on. And, you know, I 100% feel that he, and I know that you do, Dad, uh, feel mm-hmm. feel that way, right? Because we've talked about it in a lot of detail. Oh, sure. And I think that, like, most recently we had a conversation that uh, we had never had before about sort of understanding each other and, like, really what you were saying, that sort of confusion, right? Uh, and that, and that is like, you know, I, I think when we had that conversation, part of my conclusion was I'm a difficult human being beyond just being your gay son. Right. Like I, uh, (laughs) most people's sons don't write explicitly about their sexual experiences for a mass audience. (laughs) Right. And I have challenged you in multiple other ways throughout our our relationship. But I think that even when, you know, even when we've had disagreements or haven't talked like for a short period of time, I've always known that you love me and that that feeling is mutual. So, yeah, exactly. Reverend Trout, can you tell me a little about that sort of the decision, I guess, just to share that story? I mean, I found myself sort of emotional granted not having known you know the whole backstory of the messy ways these things sort of like come to fruition in families but that moment when you described that like you would give up the church before you gave up your son was really touching to me um what was it like deciding to share that with the congregation uh i have always felt that my congregation's need to know what I believe about things before I ask them to believe things. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking in that context about the brokenness that I saw in people's lives, I wanted them to understand that that I am very little different than any of them. Mm-hmm. I have issues that go on in my family just like they do, and that sharing who I am and what my relationships are is just a very important part of me calling my congregation to be a better pe- a better people. Mm-hmm. And to me, love is the strongest aspect of what I call people to, and that we have to be able to love past all the prejudices and all the other things that people try to put between us and other people. Love has to overcome those things. And to me, that means even the church. My faith is stronger than the church. Mm -hmm. And my calling to love both as a father, as a pastor, as uh, uh, as a, a, uh, a husband is far stronger than any institution. You mentioned in that um, sermon that you had, you know, you suspected that Chris might be gay before then. Once you started thinking that about your son, did it change anything in terms of the way you acted or the way you talked, just the way you understood the world? 
or him and you? Understood the world. Um, it probably at the moment made me rethink what my stances were going to be in relationship with the church and mm-hmm. and homosexuality. Um, because always before it was theoretical and theological and not personal. Mm-hmm. And this made it very, very personal. And um, to me, theology is only theoretical until it becomes personal. And when it becomes personal, then it becomes practical. And how do we put our faith into action, to me, is a very important part of my ministry. And so when I took a look at, you know, a very close examination of what it meant, um, not just to think theoretically about homosexual persons, but what it means to be the father of Chris, who happens to be a homosexual person, that just puts a whole different spin on life. Mm-hmm. When Jesus tells us to love others, to love one another, to love the underdog, to love your enemies, to love other people in general, there are no reservations. There are no sexual mm-hmm. um exclusions in that, it is about love, and uh, that's why my calling as a dad to love my son supersedes um, my attachment to the church. I'm wondering, Chris, you mentioned last time you were here that realizing your sexuality was sort of the moment you lost your faith. Mm -hmm. Do you want to Tell us a little more about that. Sorry, am I outing you to your dad in some way? Or no, I think he knows you don't go to church. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that. I don't know that he knows how uh, immediately related those things, those two things were in my mind. But why? Why were they so tied together? They can't not be right. Like I know what the Methodist Church feels and thinks about me and people like me, right? Uh, And. As an institution, not as individuals, because obviously my dad mm-hmm. is very different. And, and like he's, he pointed out earlier, the church is very, very much divided about sort of uh, gay marriage and gay representation within the church. It was to me, it was kind of like and I've you know, I've refined my thinking around this, but it was kind of like, how could God and this representation of God being the church love me unconditionally if it's telling me that what I instinctually desire is wrong. And so I think it probably forced me to think a lot more about religion and faith and all those things than I ever had before. And my conclusion after doing my own sort of soul searching and and research was that I just don't believe in God. And I think that our relationship's biggest hurdle has probably been that and not mm-hmm. my sexuality. Coming out to my dad as an atheist was 100 times harder than coming out as gay. Did you do those two things around the same time? Honestly, I think I might have come out as an atheist before I came out as gay. Reverend Trout, is that your memory of this? What are, what are you thinking right now? I really and truly understand uh, what Christopher was going through. Okay, I, 
And yeah. I can't remember exactly the sequence. Mm-hmm. I just know that he was in a, an extreme time of struggle. I know that in the midst of all of this, I have tried to assure Chris that uh, even though the church doesn't quite know what to do with him, God doesn't give up on people, and that God still loves him even though the church has a struggle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, he's heard me say that, and yeah. that, that um, and to me, I'm uh, you know, I'm 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 okay with who he is because I I uh, just because I I love him. He's my son, and um, regardless of of uh, his standing with uh, the church, uh, he's my son, and yeah. that's it. But but you do think that I'm going to be left behind during the rapture, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm glad that was a laugh line. <laughs> uh, you should have seen Maureen's well, face, Dad. You know, <laughs> left behind. I don't know. The, I, the the rapture that is just a whole other story, and I have a whole other um, gracious sakes that that is. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to take you so deep. It's okay. We don't have well, to answer no, that question. We could do a whole other show just on that, and that's not that's not where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Do you I, believe I mean, that there will be a rapture? I believe that at some point in time, um, reality and time are going to be consumed into God's reality and time. Things are going to change. Uh, what that is and what it means, and especially the the thing of when it comes, ah, that's up to God, not to me. Mm -hmm. When we uh, get there, wherever there is, heaven, um, we're going to be surprised at who's there and who isn't. Ooh, I have a question. Oh, go ahead, Chris. (laughs) That's so right. (laughs) I know this is your show. Uh, No, go for it. Do you think people uh, can have sex in heaven? I have no idea. I've not been there. Do we have corporeal forms in heaven would probably be the first question before we get to whether or not we're having sex with them, right? Oh, my God. This is getting too deep. <laughs> we're getting so theological. You know, I have a question, though, regarding heaven. Reverend do you ever worry about who will or won't end up in heaven? About whether, you know, if your own family members are going to be there or not? No. I don't. Is that because you don't think about it or because you know they're all going to be there? It's not It's not that I don't... Uh, let me see. How do I word this? Um, I believe that God's intent for all humanity is to be in relationship with them. And that God never gives up on us even when we give up on God. And even though I don't believe uh, in universalism, I believe that God just doesn't give up on people. And so I don't worry about it. I just accept that God knows more than I do. So you don't worry about the sort of left behind thing? Oh, gosh, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> that one was getting really intense for me, too. <laughs> no, I don't worry about that. You know, so um, last time Chris was here, he was telling us about his 
highly blended family that you guys all had Thanksgiving together with um, Chris's biological daughter and then, of course, her parents. Um, tell me, what what was it like sort of, I guess, either one of you sort of when Chris, when you started that family and you sort of introduce it all to your father and the family you were sort of born with, I guess, what was that sort of blending process like? So I have two two of my best friends are uh, a a trans man and a cis woman, and they uh, had been married for a couple of years and decided that they wanted to have a child, and I offered to be the the donor. Uh, so when when that was happening, part of the reason why they chose me is because they wanted me to be a part of Sochi's life, who is uh, my mm-hmm. biological daughter. They also, at that time, were very upfront in saying, you know, we would really like it if your parents were involved, too. What do you think they're going to think? My just immediate reaction was, I'm sure they'll be fine with it. I don't know how involved they'll want to be, though. So, you know, I brought it to my to my parents and I, dad, you can take it from there because <laughs> that's your story. Yeah. What do you remember that moment? Well, uh, yeah, I, I remember uh, that as soon as we hung up the phone, uh, there was just lots of laughter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, because we thought that uh, I we had always uh, looked forward once the kids got grown to having grandchildren, and mm-hmm. and uh, we had had never really thought that Chris would be one to bring us a grandchild, and <laughs> uh, and and then we thought, oh my lord. This, this is funny, you know, and, and uh, uh, I had absolutely no um, problem letting people know that I had another grandchild. It was just a, a bizarre way <laughs> of, of explaining it that unless somebody had five minutes, I couldn't just tell them I have a new grandchild. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's a story behind, mm-hmm. uh, behind this. And uh, we, um, we being you and your just, wife, me and my wife, yeah, we we were just mm-hmm. very accepting of of the situation. And to be fair, so was so was my sister and her husband mm-hmm. and their kids, right? Uh, yeah. D- despite whatever sort of ongoing problems I have with my sister, she's always been really cool with Event Levi and with Sochi, and vice versa. So. Do you just see Sochi as a granddaughter now, or is it well, sure. sort of that five-minute qualified conversation thing? Oh, no. She's a grandchild. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christmas presents have gone yeah. that way and and, uh, and the other way also. And, and uh, uh, when we got the invitation to come for Thanksgiving, we immediately got on uh, online to see what the plane tickets were like and decided mm-hmm. to drive. And, and, you know, I mean, it, this, it's not a, uh, it's not casual. It, it, she's yeah. our grandchild. Mm-hmm. Chris, I'm wondering, has your relationship or the way you understand your dad changed since you've now have a daughter? Has that affected the way you understand your dad or your relationship with your family? Yes and no. So I think that, like, just generally speaking, seeing my parents interact with Sochi and, like, understanding and being involved in her life and understanding kind of, like, that we are uh, sort of an alternative to the normal and not the antithesis of normal 
I think that that's been really nice to see. It's just, you know, it's one thing for my parents to accept me as a gay person, right? For them to then accept my entire sort of bizarre extended family is a whole nother thing. And I think that that's really, really sweet. On the on the other end of it, though, uh, you know, my dad's experience with me is very different from my relationship with Sochi because of course yeah. he had to put up with my shit 24 hours a day for 18 <laughs> years. You know, uh, I get to see Sochi only when uh, it's you know convenient for both of us or or when I want to. Um, and she's only three years in so far. Right. And she's she's super young. <laughs> but, you know, like I. In the arrangement that we have set up, I'm not financially responsible yeah. for Sochi in any way. I'm not even emotionally responsible for her and unless I really want to be. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all the way that my upbringing was, right? My dad and my of mom course. were very, very involved. And uh, they couldn't get away from me if they wanted to. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reverend Trout has seen sort of Chris's adult life or the way he's sort of been building family stuff now. Has that changed anything, I guess, for you in, in the way you think about him or parenting, childhood in general? You know, I am very proud that Zochi's parents chose him to be the biological father because they saw traits in him that I see in him. Mm-hmm that they find desirable and that they want to uh, be exemplified in their offspring. And uh, so uh, Zochi is an extension of him uh, as well as her parents. And I'm very proud of Christopher for being that. That's sweet. Thanks. This goes so much deeper than I usually go in these things. (laughs) Well, we can talk about dicks and stuff. (laughs) Did Did you listen to the last episode? To the, to do, you listen to Chris, yeah. do you listen to Chris's episode? No, I haven't yet. I, 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 um, <laughs> I mean, he didn't listen to the no. sermon. I didn't listen to the <laughs> We things. don't expect it. I mean, I don't know. Chris, do you want him to listen to that? Oh, I mean, <laughs> you know, like, like, uh, like I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, when you're the type of person that writes about what we write about yeah. and when you're as open and frank about the sorts of things that we talk about. You can't be embarrassed when your parents hear you talking mm-hmm. about dildos or dicks or oral or whatever, right? Like, it is just what it is. I wish I could see um, your dad right now. Does this stuff still make you blush, Steve? Or have you have you been worn down with Chris's crassness? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm not certainly not embarrassed. But uh, I don't know if Chris remembers this, but I, I think he was in junior high when I was teaching a human sexuality class in in the youth group at no the way <laughs> oh gosh yeah he's shaking and, his head do tell us more yeah <laughs> well one of the things that we did is that we had uh, pieces of butcher paper uh taped to the wall and uh then we had the correct uh uh scientific and anatomical names for uh, body parts and sex and, and things like that uh, at the top of the page and had and, and then I asked everybody to go and to put all the slang uh, for all these things uh, right on, on the pieces of paper. And I had some parental setups that mm-hmm. were going to get the ball rolling. 
and uh, because the parents were to come with their children to uh, uh, to this. And so they just started writing all the slang for everything, including, <laughs> you know, slang for penis and and sex and everything else. And and uh, and so what I did when all when all the names were up there, I went by and I read every one of them and said, just so that you know that your preacher can actually say these <laughs> out loud. But from now on throughout this class, we're going to use the correct uh, the correct names for these things. Uh, Let me guess: Did Chris really excel at that at that exercise? I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> this was actually an early, like this is the beginnings of like how his career came about. If anything, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're responsible, Dad. How does it feel? <laughs> I, I probably am. You probably learned a, a lot of these things in that session. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chris and Steve, do you guys have any questions for each other about the, these topics or what's come up? Well, you know, as much as I like to talk about sex uh, with everybody. <laughs> my, have you just discovered the, the, the one form in which you feel slightly uncomfortable? Chris, I've never seen you uh, <laughs> <laughs> hesitate. Well, well, yeah, I mean, like, it's great when it's a one-way sort of thing, right, where my dad can read about the sort of crazy shit that I do and the stuff that I talk about. Having to hear what his feelings are and about his stories is always a little cringe-inducing. And to be, to be like, real clear, my dad has never shied away from talking about sex and sex with my mom and making, I mean, like, in front of my sister and I in a way that made us all uncomfortable. Really? He, yeah, because he thought it was hilarious. He thought it was hilarious <laughs> to make us all feel... Like <laughs> to make us all blush. Like he he has this. He, so when he when he explains that he and my mom got married when they were eighteen, his reason for it is totally different from my mom's. Do you want to tell him? Go ahead. I'd like to know what you heard. So <laughs> he has said that he had to get married as quickly as possible so that he could lose his virginity. <laughs> and my is that true? I don't, uh, uh, gosh, I I don't remember that kind of conversation, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and and my mom, on the other end of it, neither of them mentions love when they talk about this, by the way. My mom, on the other end of it, was like, that was my only way to get out of West Texas. Didn't you guys stay in West Texas for a while? We got married and immediately moved to college, uh, uh-huh. which was in a central Texas, very small community. I got a a football scholarship to play for a fundamentalist Baptist college. Oh, wow. And that was the most bizarre thing in the world. Uh, but they paid for my education. And, B- bizarre uh, how? Uh, because I am definitely not a fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. I actually majored in biblical studies from there, but I had very different views than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh we got married early, and, and and yes, Christopher, we loved each other very much. It's the, <laughs> it was the 18 that was such a hard thing. We we tried planning out to wait, but mm-hmm. uh, she desperately wanted out of uh, out of her mom and dad's house, and uh, uh, I had very specific beliefs about having sex before marriage, and uh, I knew she was the one, and I felt getting married quickly was better than the alternative. Is she the only woman you've had sex with then? Yes. 
That's so romantic. I mean, I imagine that sex just must be more sort of definitionally about that person for you than the way I think about sex. Um, well, yeah. Um, or about this particular, the institution of yeah. your particular marriage with one another is just sort of all of sex and all of marriage are sort of one thing. Yeah. And Elaine and I have grown up together uh, yeah. and grown old together. And sex has been a part of that whole process from 18 to uh, now 62. Wow. I'm curious. Uh, I, have, I have an idea. Tell me if this is mm-hmm. stupid. What if we listed off some fetishes and see if my dad knows what they are? Oh, yeah. Will that, will that be terribly embarrassing for you, Reverend Trout? No, but All I'll right. also not I'll certainly admit that I don't know something. There's, you might you could easily come across something I don't know, Chris. All right, you go first. Okay. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to say the name of the thing, and then you're going to guess what it is, Dad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and me too, if I... Well, we'll see. Okay. You, okay. Yeah. Sploshing. What? Sploshing. S-P-L-O-S-H-I-N-G. Sploshing. Sploshing. That I could not even guess what. That I don't is. know what sploshing is. S- sploshing's like what? a. It's <laughs> okay, wait. Let me give it. Let me give it a guess. I think it's going to involve something involving liquids. Yep. Splashing around, but if it's a splosh, maybe you're having sex inside a, f- a fl- like a Jello bath. I, it, Jello bath. It sex. is similar. To, it is similar to that. It's like sitting in like you know jellos and puddings and and cake filling uh. and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay, how about how about furries? Do you know what furries are, Dad? I know what furries are. Furries. I, I wouldn't expect you to. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I can guess is that it, it uh, involves a little animal. <laughs> like, like the Richard Gere thing? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, those are people that like to dress up in in furry animal costumes uh-oh. and then flirt with or have sex with one another. Although it sounds to me like a lot of furries just enjoy dressing up without necessarily the sex part. Right. There's like a lot of cuddling that happens. Yeah. Uh, okay. It can be special. It can. There doesn't have to be extramarital sex to be a furry. <laughs> Absolutely not. How about sounding? Oh, my God. Sounding. I mean, Dad, just guess, and then I'll tell you. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, I can't even think. What? What is it? I, I mean, the obvious one would be, like, dirty talk, right, because it's sounding or whatever. It has to do with sound. Anyway, right. that is not it. It's when you stick a, a foreign object into your urethra. And occasionally that foreign object is a, a metal rod that someone will then tap with another piece of metal. Oh, okay. <laughs> Chris, have you ever done this? Do people really do this outside of extreme fetish world? Uh, you know, how, how common I've, is sounding? I've never intentionally splashed, but I've definitely sat in something <laughs> while having sex. I think we've all accidentally sploshed at yeah. some point in our lives. Uh, I have dressed in an animal costume but not had sex in one. And sounding, no, I mean, the closest I've ever gotten to that is that uh, 
the swab that they do for gonorrhea and chlamydia. <laughs> At the doctor's oh. office. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, Reverend Trout, do you have any questions for Chris after having this conversation and thinking about sex and relationships and such? I just I, I just want to say that I've always deeply appreciated Chris's honesty and his ability to actually talk with me about these things because mm-hmm. um, uh, um, I know of so many people for whom they have a, a an estranged relationship with their children, um, and sometimes it's not even over homosexuality, it's over some other thing that, you know, I just think, gracious, can't, can't you get over that? And for us, it's let's just be honest with each other and accept each other. Um, I know that Chris uh, doesn't understand me many times, and I sometimes have the same type of thing with him, but uh, uh, we just love each other, and I appreciate that. Maybe that's a good note Good note for us to end on. Thank you guys both so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Maureen. You're very welcome. Every week we ask our callers to um, call in with their thoughts about the episode. Is there anything in particular you'd want to hear people weigh in on? Yeah, I imagine talking to your parents oh, yeah. about sex. Yeah, do you talk to your parents about sex? I'm really curious to hear about other people's sort of finding themselves sexually and spiritually if those two things were connected as they were for Chris and sort of how they dealt with it. Or if, you know, you're a parent or you have parents who are more religious than you, sort of how those comings of age affect the way your family is made up. So that number, if you want to reach us, is 646-494-3590. You can just call and leave a voicemail at any time. Is there anything you'd like to hear people call in about, uh, Dr. Trout? You know, I I really would like to hear if... uh if they abandoned faith of their childhood, uh, what was the trigger for that? Mm-hmm. And did they find something new and different? Did they fill it with sure. anything or was it just sort of a end of religion? Yeah. What happened yeah. If, you, if you did end up leaving your childhood religion? So right. that number is 646-494-3590. And if you, know, you have any specific questions for Chris or Steve, we'll definitely be sure to get in touch with them and let, the, let you know what they think. Great. So I guess this week have been Steve Trout from the First United Methodist Church of Los Alamos and his son, Christopher Trout, executive editor at Engadget. Sex Live is produced by Alana Milner and Afim Shapiro. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. 